Welcome, everybody, to It's Fine, an official podcast of Broken Arrow Public Schools on the AeroVision Network. My name is Adam Foreman. I'm the Assistant Director of Fine Arts for Broken Arrow, and today it's all fine arts all the time. Uh, this episode would not be possible without the generous support of our one club sponsors, First National Bank of Broken Arrow, TTCU Federal Credit Union, Ascension St. John, Tulsa Bone & Joint, and the Arrow Group. Uh, today's episode is all about fine arts, especially fine arts with this gentleman sitting over here across from me. This is Adam Winkin, percussion specialist for Broken Arrow Schools. How are you doing, Adam? Doing great. It's weird saying my name back to somebody else. I'm like, what's <laughs> what's going on here? Uh, and then uh, my co-host today, uh, the director of AeroVision, Mr. Greg Spencer. Howdy. Good to be here today. Good it's to great here. to you have a lot of bald things back and forth yeah. to another guy. You know, Adam's got this great head of hair. You're, you're in trouble. Uh, before we get into anything, let's talk about you because it's about percussion and most notably the Broken Arrow High School Indoor Percussion Ensemble. But they don't uh, exist without their leader, which is you. So give us some background about your educational journey to where you are today, probably starting around college area. Sure. So uh, I grew up in northwest Indiana uh, and then I went to Indiana University uh, for my undergraduate, graduated in 2010, spent a year teaching in Texas, but then... Uh, this position came open at Broken Arrow and a job like this is something I've always really wanted. So uh, it opened up, I interviewed, all the stars aligned and I've been here at Broken Arrow since uh, August of, actually, sorry, June or July of 2011. So so for the people that don't know, cause like, even though you're from Indiana, you knew a lot about Broken Arrow, oh, Broken yeah. Arrow being known, you know, in the band world. Talk a little bit about that and kind of what your familiarity was with BA at the time. Sure, so, uh, you know, Indiana is a very big marching band uh, state, just like Oklahoma. And uh, I was teaching a handful of groups in the Indianapolis area and in Indiana, uh, Castle High School, Center Grove, and I actually student taught at Carmel High School. And all three of those schools uh, compete in Bands of America. And of course, Broken Arrow has been a Bands of America participant for many, many, many years. So before I ever came here, I already knew what Broken Arrow was, but I actually remember vividly the first time I saw the Broken Arrow band. Uh, it was like 2008 at Grand Nationals, actually. What uh, was the show? Do you remember the show? Runaway. Runaway. Gotcha. Uh, so actually, it, I knew the name uh, of the school. You know, I knew Broken Arrow would never see them live. Uh, my concert band director in, in college, he did some time at Oklahoma State. And Grand Nationals was going on. He actually uh, kind of plugged Broken Arrow. And he said, hey, uh, if you guys aren't doing anything, go to Grand Nationals tonight. Broken Arrow's performing in prelims at 1030 at night or something like that. So I figured, okay, I'll go check them out. And Why not? Uh, so there I was. You know, I got a ticket for 15 bucks or whatever and grabbed a, a couple friends and saw the Broken Arrow band for the first time in the, you know, in the nosebleeds at, at Lucas Oil Stadium. And then the following year, I remember I was a student teaching at Carmel High School. And we were at Grand Nationals, and I I vividly remember turning a corner and seeing the Broken Arrow band leave warm-up to go to music warm-up. And I remember seeing Mr. Davis and then the front rank of, of the group, and they all looked like they were 15 feet tall. And I, <laughs> it, it really kind of struck me. I still remember that moment. Just because of their stature and just how yeah, just it, amazing it was. It was always just a, a, such a professional, um, larger-than-life persona. Uh, there was always this mystique around Broken Arrow. So... From, from that time, in 2008, 2009, I knew Broken Arrow. And, of course, as they were starting to um, continue to refine and they started to compete and um, start to raise the level of what they were doing and start to place higher. And 
everybody started noticing a little bit more. So by the time 2011 came around, of course, I, I wanted to be a part of that program. I didn't even know where, honestly, I didn't even know where Broken Arrow was. Um, I knew <laughs> let, me, let me let me draw you a map real quick. So like I said, <laughs> yeah, they've, I mean, Broken Arrow's had a national reputation for so many years and they, you know, the, march, the marching band especially uh, impacts a lot of people, including me. Well, and you were from Carmel, and they're no slouch either. I've seen their name tons of times in national things. So, like I said, Broken Arrow is a, a national brand. And uh, me being from Indiana and that impression and the program and what they're doing and all the things that are offered here, of course, if that opportunity came up, and then I am just happened to be lucky that it was at the right time, and I was a candidate that they felt like they could take a chance on when I was pretty young, and I've been here ever since. So the... The groups that you work with, are they all percussion-related here in the district, or do you work with all sorts of different groups uh, of kids? What are, let, let me rephrase that. What are the groups of kids that you work with in the in the band department? Primarily, you know, my focus is working with percussion students, um, but I also team teach the jazz band here uh, with uh, Jace Davison, and I was, I was fronting that band for the past nine or ten years, but uh, with him coming in this year, uh, he's really starting to take the reins of that and will probably take the reins going forward. Uh, but also, I, I work with uh, every concert band uh, at the high school and freshman academy level, uh, usually with a percussionist. But I don't really spend a lot of time with the wind players, uh, other than maybe I might be in the band class. But I really try to zone my focus in on percussionists solely, because that's really what my job is. And then uh, as much as I possibly can, I try to go see the middle school students. Uh, I just finished up doing some screenings with beginner kids of kids who are interested in switching to percussion uh, at the seventh grade uh, level. And then, you know, I try to make an appearance, especially around this time, a little bit earlier to see the eighth graders before they prepare for contest. And then again, uh, here in a few weeks, well, before we start doing marching band auditions and band auditions for the ninth grade year. So I don't get to see the middle school students as much, but I have a, a, a great staff that also, you know, private lesson teachers and master class teachers, I could see them. But for the most part, I'm seeing just percussionists nine through 12. And as much as I can, I, I try to see the middle school students as well. Well, and, and or so you're gonna say something. Oh, I was just okay. gonna say, you know, uh, you know, talking a little bit about the you know stature of the Broken Arrow Band program that that also allows you to do a lot of things nationally as well. I know a lot of you guys stay really busy doing different things, being hired by other programs, colleges. Talk about some of the things that you participate away from Broken Arrow as well. Sure. So. Um, I do a lot of judging in the winter with indoor percussion. There are multiple circuits throughout the country, um, state circuits um, that I do some judging. And not a, I don't do a ton of it because, you know, I'm still doing Broken Arrow and we have our, our rehearsal schedule and things like that. But I'm able to do that. Um, I'm very involved with uh, actually writing and arranging. Most of the time it's the battery percussion, uh, but sometimes some front ensemble percussion uh, for mostly high school groups uh, throughout the country. So even some of our quote unquote competitors, you know, there's groups that I write for that are also competing at the same show as Broken Arrow. Um, but that's another kind of thing that I've been really passionate about is being able to create and write. And I do some, I do that with Broken Arrow too. Uh, I write all the, the drumline music for Broken Arrow and the, and the marching band and then the indoor percussion. And then um, I'm also doing some uh, percussion arranging uh, and I'm leading the caption at the Spirit of Atlanta Drum and Bugle Corps. Uh, mostly it's high school students, but also college students as well. So somewhere between the ages of essentially 16 and 22, uh, 16 and 22, uh, it's an independent drum corps and based out of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, that's been a really unique and awesome experience to be able to create and teach, but in a different environment. And I feel like 
you know, the way that we all kind of put shows together and create together and work together is different. So I really enjoy that process as well, working with other students, older students as well, and working with uh, other people that just continues to can give me some different ideas of how to go about a lot of the same kind of projects. So I definitely keep myself very busy. Yeah, you don't sound busy <laughs> at all. Just um, like you're just twiddling your thumbs I'm over there. So lucky to be able to have these opportunities and uh, as much as I possibly can, I'll say yes. So I, I see it as a learning experience and I also see it as I can be an ambassador for this program at Broken Arrow. I, I, I wear that proudly wherever I go. Um, I'm wearing the BA uh, on my on my sleeve. So now you're the one who's 15 foot tall to everybody <laughs> when they see you. You're the one. I don't know about that, but I, you know, I, I just, like I said, I'm very proud to be representing Broken Arrow. And the same thing we tell our kids is you're always representing BA no matter where you go. And uh, like I said, I've, I'm very lucky to have those opportunities. And of course, that all comes secondary to my responsibilities here at Broken Arrow. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to keep myself pretty busy. But I, I love creating. I love working. And I love. Uh, working with students of all levels. So you mentioned the Pride of Broken Arrow marching band. And so you help write the parts for that part, the Grand Nationals, everything that yes. involved that. How does that work with you and the person who designs the show? Like, I know there's so many moving parts in that. How do you fit into that 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 whole so formula with them? Musically, it's uh, Jim Wunderlich and myself. Uh, and actually, Jim Wunderlich and myself, we also write the indoor percussion show together. So Jim uh, was brought on in 2014 uh, as an arranger uh, with us in the marching band. And over time, that has evolved to essentially Jim is writing the full score. So musically, he kind of tracks everything. Uh, and then in, in terms of the battery percussion, uh, the drum line, I fill that out and, and write all of that. So we work together in tandem to make that happen. A little bit different process uh, writing a marching band show versus an indoor percussion show. Um, but you also have to coordinate that with the visual designers and the program coordinators, you know, Wes Cartwright in the fall and Leon Mayer, Joe Ryder. And then in the winter with indoor percussion, Noah Bellamy, uh, we have choreographers, Jim Moore that we share between, uh, the fall and the winter. We have Zach Schlicker who's in as well. So there's a definitely a different way of kind of doing it. There are also two, di two different activities, similar, but almost like cousins, you know? Um, but essentially you, you, you kind of get a flow of who's going to go first and how do you kind of write that together? Uh, a little bit differences between how marching band and indoor percussion is put together. Mostly number of students, uh, indoor percussion is much smaller. It's also performed in a basketball court on an arena versus a marching band field. So there are definitely different uh, challenges and nuance that kind of go back and forth between both activities. So you mentioned that indoor percussion. Tell the listener who has no, no knowledge of that what exactly is indoor percussion. Sure. So essentially indoor percussion is if you look at the prior, look at any marching band, if you take the drum line and the, the grounded front ensemble, the front, uh, essentially pluck them out from the marching band and have a show 100% just with them on a basketball court in the winter. That's in in the most simplistic forms, that's what we do. See, that painted a very vivid picture for me. I totally now, get it. It's a lot more complex than that. And we also have additional, uh, not ensembles, but additional sections with what we do. We also have a visual ensemble, uh, which is mostly uh, dancers and, cho and choreography. Uh, it's a different way to get more kids involved. It's also gives us a lot of different options uh, as designers to be able to use them in unique ways. Um, so, Every group's a little bit different. We also even have students that are with us that might play synthesizer, but they also are wind players. So if we have a chance to be able to feature them on a, on, a, on their wind instrument, we can try to do that too. So you have a lot of options in indoor percussion, but 
essentially it's all under the umbrella of WGI, which is Winter Guard International. Uh, basically, what that started with, with Winter Guard is the Color Guard from the fall. They're doing the same thing, but just in the winter. If you just take the Color Guard and you put them on a gym floor and create a show, that's what they're doing. And in roughly 25, 30 years ago, they, WGI also created a percussion division, which is what we do. And then they also, five to 10 years ago, created a winds division. So there's also schools that will bring wind players and do kind of the same thing that we're doing. So there's three kind of different um, categories within WGI. Uh, we participate in the percussion version, which is uh, ever growing. And it seems like every single year there's more and more groups and more and more schools that decide to field, uh, to field different ensembles. Well, and, and this was kind of a pet project of yours, something that you wanted to bring here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in that and how long we've been doing it. Sure. So I, when I was uh, teaching in Indiana, Indiana is kind of one of the major hubs of, of indoor percussion and winter guard. Um, it's very coastal, but it's also very, very prominent in the Midwest in Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan. Um, so pretty much everybody in Indiana has a winter guard and or a indoor percussion group. And uh, I've, and I was able, I was fortunate enough to teach at Center Grove, which at that time, and there's still a, a perennial finalist in Scholastic World. We were second, we were the silver medalist the first year I got to teach there. So I got to be in the ground floor of how that actually happens. And I saw firsthand of what it does for students. And uh, when I got to Broken Arrow, uh, WGI wasn't really a thing yet for the program, but I also knew there had to be an infrastructure put in place. So you know, when I first got to Broken Arrow, I wanted to learn more about how Broken Arrow does what they do. Cause I came in and the group was runner up at Grand Nationals. Like this, this ensemble knows what they're doing. I wanted to learn about the kids, about the program and get that under my feet first. And maybe down the road, we can explore maybe doing indoor percussion. And honestly, when I first got here, um, we didn't have as, as big of a drum staff. I had maybe one or two uh, uh, alumni that were still around that were able to essentially work it in as a part-time job, but to do indoor percussion, it takes a village, uh, not only of, you know, parent volunteers, but also staff members to do it at the level that I felt like we needed to do it at. So after two or three years, four years of being here, I started to kind of put those pieces together and getting more people involved. And essentially once I had a, a staff of three or four that I could be here all the time. And again, the kids started to get to know me a little bit better and what my vision for where I wanted to go. Our first indoor season was um, 2015, was the winter and spring of 2015. That's when we started. So we're in, in the terms of WGI, we're still a fairly young ensemble. There are some ensembles that are in their 30th year, and this is just part of the culture. They haven't known anything different. We're starting to get there, you know, so we're still at some level just still trying to develop and maintain and, and continue to rise uh, the level expectation of what we're doing. But essentially, the infrastructure was there with the program. Uh, so the good news is the marching band. I've always been really proud of how we travel, how we present ourselves and how organized it is. So I basically learned how that operates with our kids and they're they're trained to know how to do what they're supposed to do on trips. So when I started the program, I didn't have to reinvent the wheel and just kind of had to adapt it and evolve it to this particular kind of program. But, you know, like I said, after about four years, I was like, you know, I think we're ready to do this. And it definitely didn't come up with, uh, without any growing pains. Cause it's definitely, a, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort, it, especially after a grueling marching band season, it can be a lot. Um, but it, again, I've, I've seen what this, this activity can do for, 
for young adults. And once you, once, especially as percussionists, when you see this activity, it's, it's just like uh, transformative. So I wanted the students to be able to have those experiences. And honestly, you can ask any one of us uh, staff members and band directors here, we're all about just giving our students the best possible performance experiences while they're with us. And this is something that I, especially with percussionists is something that I didn't want them to miss out on. So it's a, it's a pretty transformative thing for them. Well, and with the, with the winter guard, it keeps their skills sharpened too, but between marching seasons as well. I mean, and keeps them involved in something. Absolutely. Um, so tell us about a typical show. What does a typical indoor percussion show look like? So that's a great question. So it's typically a little bit shorter than a marching man show. Uh, marching man shows can range anywhere from roughly eight to 11 minutes. Um, our show is technically, is usually around like six to six and a half minutes long. Um, it's essentially, it, it's a, it's a, there's a, so much variety, but essentially the front ensemble takes on a lot of the melodic and harmonic structure of what, you know, when you listen to a band, that's all in the band instruments. Okay. But now in indoor percussion, that's all up front, uh, especially electronically, um, with synthesizers and sampling and those kinds of things. That's where you hear a lot of the color, very cinematic kind of, uh, sounds to what you're doing. Again, uh, you can also hear uh, mic'd instruments. Uh, like this year, our program, we have a trumpet player, we have a clarinet player, then eventually we have a euphonium player. Um, a lot of times you'll also hear singing and or narration. That's actually usually sampled. Um, but then the battery kind of provides a lot of the rhythmic and um, energy and, and structure to what they're doing. But I would say one of the biggest differences with WGI and indoor percussion is the vocabulary of what's asked of the students is uh, at a way higher level than maybe what's asked in a Bands of America event. A Bands of America event is more about the totality of the whole band, uh, the whole music ensemble, meaning the woodwinds, the brass, and the percussion, and how they all meld together. And then if you combine those elements with visually and especially with the color guard, it's just a much bigger uh, project, you know what I mean? With WGI and with percussion, it's a little bit more zoned in on skill sets. And even within WGI, uh, the way that the classification works is actually not by school size, which is typically what a lot of groups do in marching band. You're grouped by how big your school is, like 6A here in Oklahoma, 6A2, whatever. In WGI, it's actually based on skill set, and you have A class, open class, and world class. A class is typically uh, beginning skills, uh, open class is typically intermediate and scholastic world is um, advanced skills. Scholastic meaning it's involved with a school. Do you determine those levels yes. as an instructor? Yeah. Like you kind of say, my kids are pretty good. Well, They're scholastic. It doesn't, I mean, it just kind of depends because it, it depends upon what you want to do with the students. So if your students, if you want to challenge your students at that level, you have to know kind of the skill sets that are going to be evaluated. So for example, we compete in scholastic world and we've been in scholastic world ever since, uh, 2016. Um, we've stayed in that classification. We started out in open and we, they actually, the way that WGI works is, uh, there's a very, very rigorous, uh, classification kind of system where everybody that's in an A or open, they get, uh, essentially viewed, uh, videoed and then, a a, a, a team, advisory board looks at those videos and they see, okay, is that an A-class group? Is that an open-class group? And they really try to move groups around to classify them in the right classification. So there might be a group who might go to a WGI event and they're going to be an open class and 
that team or that chief judge is watching this group, and after their prelims performance, they'll get a you know, you know, knock on the shoulder and say, uh, that's world class. Wow. Does it ever go in the opposite direction? So I was going to say, so can you can you get like relegated, <laughs> like FIFA? Yeah, it's like, it listen, go down. You're, you're going back down. I'm sorry, you are not academic or whatever you just that, said. <laughs> that does not happen. That does not happen. But that's what I mean is you can choose as an instructor what class you would like to compete in. However, depending upon how you write your show, it's going to be evaluated through uh, filters of designers, uh, teachers, and then you know chief judges of whether you're not in whether you're in the correct class or not so they wgi is a little bit different so you'll have uh, groups that are in our classification scholastic world that high school might only have a thousand students at it but the way that their percussion program has evolved they're doing world-class skills um, how big is this program nationally wgi like how many schools are kids involved with it it's growing um i so just going off of uh, uh the world championships so in, in percussion, there's I think there's about 30 in Scholastic World. There's maybe 50 in Scholastic Open and probably 70 to 80 in Scholastic A. And that's just the groups that go to the championships. That's not counting every circuit around the country. There's also an entire other set, uh, section of WGI called independent groups, which is essentially is not affiliated with a school. Um, it could be university. It could be just like a drum and bugle corps. Um, it's just, it's and those are just set up entity. independently by just somebody exactly. says, I want to put a group together. Exactly. Gotcha. In even with that, there's a open in world. So there's lots of different ways to be involved. I, I, I don't have the specific numbers, but I can tell you that the number of groups from year to year continues to, um, grow exponentially, especially with, uh, the addition of the wins groups that's starting to take off as well. But like winter guard scholastic a, I think there's 130 Scholastic A groups going to world championships. That's just one class. You know what I mean? so, like I said, this is a this is a fairly strong and very um, active circuit. Even in our local circuit in in Oklahoma, it's called Winter Garden Percussion of Oklahoma. Uh, it's actually percussion groups and Winter Guards are all part of the same circuit. I think we just eclipsed a hundred groups in the state. Wow! So it's a very very um, growing activity. But not all of them. Ha- have to compete at the national level, right? Just, or yeah. some just out there just to have a, a good time with oh, they'll it. Ju- they'll only participate in the um, in the state circuit. You know what I mean? So yeah. just kind of depends. So you guys had your strongest finish ever last year, right? Yes. So so what, to talk a little bit about that, kind of the, the, the evolution of it and kind of what the outlook is for, for this upcoming uh, trip that you guys have to Dayton pretty sure. soon. Yeah, because so. I want to hear about this year's show. I'm curious. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we went to w- WGI in 2017 and 2018 in Scholastic World. Uh, we've, gone, we've gone to regional events essentially every year, but 2017 was the first time we went to World Championships, and it was an incredible learning experience. We were still super young. We had a very uh, senior class-heavy uh, graduate before 2017. But, I, again, one of the biggest reasons we go to WGI is so the kids can be a part of what – the highest levels of the activity is not only in scholastic with high schools, but also to be able to see all the independent groups. Um, so, you know, we went for the first time in 2017, we finished, uh, in, in 18th. And we, so we were a semifinalist, 15 groups make finals in our class. Um, and you know, it was a great learning experience and not only for the students, but also our parents. Um, this is a whole different ball game than bands of America. It's just way different. And at that time, again, we were in just year three, so it was very, very new, you know, like year three of the Broken Air Band was 1931. You know what I mean? So 
This was it's the year I was born. <laughs> Feels like it someday. Uh, we went. The, we went the following year. Made a lot of great adjustments, and then we were way better, and ended up in 18th again. <laughs> so, but that again, that was another learning experience with the kids. Is like, yeah, um, we're way better. We've made a lot of great adjustments, but guess what? Everybody else is way better too. Right. You know. Right. So then we made uh, some some bigger adjustments with how we put our design team together, who's involved and just, again, continue to refine and learn. You got to put yourself out there. We could have played it safe and tried to stay in another classification and try to make finals and say, yay, but I don't think we would have learned as much if we didn't do that at that time. 2019, we started making some big changes. Uh, we went to a couple regional events and started hanging with some of the more nationally recognized groups. Um, and then this past year in 2020, 22, we went to WGI World Championships again for the first time since 2018. Uh, none of those kids have ever been at WGI before. Um, and our goal was just we want to play on Saturday night. We want to be in finals. Can we be in finals? And uh, we were 10th in prelims, which was cool. All right. We got there. We're in the mix. Uh, ended up in eighth in semifinals. So we were in and then actually jumped a spot and finished in seventh uh, in the finals competition. So, I mean, you know, seven in the world, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was an incredible milestone and, and great thing for our students. And again, to be a part of that, you know, you can ask those students who were in that group last year, the, the finals experience uh, at WGR world-class finals is really unlike anything in all of pageantry. And one example I'll give you is um, this is something that doesn't happen really in, especially in marching band, but is the warm up. It sounds odd, but the warm up when we go warm up before the show, it's not uncommon to have 500 people around us watching us warm up. Random. Why? So what is that? What is that about? Just, well, again, over the course of three days at World Championships, uh, all these different classifications have their rounds and prelims, semis, and finals. World-class finals is the last event of the weekend. And essentially, all the other groups who are around competing, they all want to go see world-class finals. It's, it's the top-level of scholastic of high school and it's also the top level independent so it's one of the you know it's a pre, it's the premier kind of spot saturday night and um, a lot of these students who were competing earlier that weekend uh, and especially in a or open they're they're done by at by five o'clock you know and saturday evening so they all want to go to finals and watching these groups up up close and personal is kind of one of the special things about wgi so we roll into the parking lot and there's just a sea of people like we have to like honk the horn. So people can move. <laughs> so like they, the Beatles, so they can let us get into <laughs> our spot and other groups are already well on their way of warming up and things like that. So it was cute. We were, we're pulling into finals and I already kind of knew all of this, but I never, I, I wanted to watch our kids and our parents, right? Check their reaction from so it. So I, I heard a voice in the back of the bus kind of just innocently say, are they going to watch us warm up? Not even respond. It's like, oh yeah, they are. Were <laughs> you so, just devilish? He's like, yeah. So we, yes. <laughs> so we were able to begin into our spot, and then our truck. You know, we start unloading our truck, and our four snare drummers get their snare drums off the truck, and set them up on stands, and just start playing like a simple exercise. And it's just all these people, like magnets, just come surround them, and closer to them than I am to you. They have their phones out, taking video, and after they finish a rep, if it's a good rep, like people cheer and clap. They feel like complete rock stars. I want to go now. That <laughs> well, sounds like a lot of fun. It's really cool to see our kids in that environment um, feel like uh, just total rock stars. And it was 
also cool to see the director, like, uh, you know, Dr. Pence and Mr. Davis were there too. And they stopped by the warm up before they went inside to watch. And I also watched our parents. They had no clue this was kind of what happens. And I, I saw them walk up and they're like, what is happening right now? <laughs> so they, they get up on the semi and just take videos and pictures. And there's, uh, you know, I, I could share these with you later, but there's pictures of us full battery. We start to just do our warm ups. And it's it's completely surrounded with people just wanting to watch the kids, and then when they play really well, like people clap for them. And this is wow. the warm up of so that there is nothing like that kind of environment experience, and that's that's one of the reasons I wanted these kids to learn um, not only like have that experience, but learn what it takes to get there. And those groups in 2017, 2018 worked just as hard, but we were still trying to learn about what we were trying to do to get to that level because right. I wanted that for them so bad. And I'm so happy for that group last year that they were able to achieve that and have those kind of experiences. Well, and that, that's, that's to me, that's one of the cool things about some of our fine arts groups that unless you've been to these trips, you just, you don't, you don't know about, if you it don't know, you don't know if, if you're in Indianapolis with the pride during grand nationals. I mean, it's just phenomenal. The, the treatment that you guys get the intent, the attention, uh, show choirs going to different places around the country and getting a lot of attention and you guys as well. It's just, it's a very unique thing that, that a lot of people don't realize. So tell me about this year's show. Give me, give me a snapshot of what your show's like. Cause I already, I sort of know, but I want the, the <laughs> listener to know. So the show this year is entitled transcend. Um, and a lot of the visual and musical ideas are derived from uh, the movie Interstellar. So a lot Which of is, for those listening, a space-age romp through, no, <laughs> <laughs> space. <Yeah. laughs> um, so what, what our kind of take on it, um, the, the emotional connection of the show is what, would you, what are you willing to sacrifice for the ones that you love? That's essentially the, the message of the show. And honestly, it's a, it's the message of that movie as well. But we really liked the the scenery, we liked the music, we liked the essentially the vibe, but we also liked the story of the show to make you care about it. But it's going to be a very special show, um, a really cool use of uh, some of the props that we have. Um, if you come or check out the show, and again, it's it's uh, we're trying to hit on all three levels of emotional, uh, intellectual, kind of you know effect so that no matter who's watching the show you can take something from it if you're more of an intellectual person then you might like a lot of the ideas that we have that are more interpretive um, but also if you're looking for something that's more emotional then essentially the tag of the transcend and, and the love theme of what would you do to sacrifice for each other that's essentially what our program is and i think as we get to the end it's also a great message that i can tell our students we're all here sacrificing our time from loved ones, sacrificing our personal time, trying to manage all of our different things that we do. And I think one thing when I talk with Jim Wonderlick, who's our program coordinator, I say, you know, can we find something that I know that our Broken Air students can identify with? And I think we can all identify with what would you do to sacrifice for things, you know, what would you sacrifice for the ones that you love? Now, in this particular show, it's, it's more of, manipulating time and space and those kinds of things. But that's essentially what the core of the show is. And you're doing it all in seven minutes. I mean, I mean, that's pretty amazing to get all that. Cause like if you, if you go to a competition, do the judges get like a packet that you explain the premise of your show or you, you, they do, you, they, you can provide them essentially a show info, uh, but you got to keep it short and sweet. 
because they're going to look at it for maybe 15 to 30 seconds before you begin. So right. our little write-up, um, you know. It's like the elevator pitch kind of. A little bit. Yeah. And not the avatar pitch. It's, it's <laughs> maybe two sentences. Um, and, and you can be as descriptive as you want or as, as open as you want. We kind of like to set the scene, but not necessarily. I don't want to tell you everything. Right. I don't want that. Right. I want you to watch it and interpret it the way that you like how it how does it land for you but gets you in the right frame of mind and provide the framework of what we're going for but yes the the judges are able to view that essentially before you begin the program gotcha so you have world championships coming up then at the end of april and then do they is there a way for any is there a way for like flow marching or anybody so um live stream of that april 20th 21st and 22nd is the wgi world championships in dayton ohio uh, all events are live streamed and usually I think they just started doing this the next day they do a rebroadcast. So if you miss it live, you can catch it the next day, uh, through flow marching. Uh, it does require a paid subscription. We'll uh, put the link right here, <laughs> here, not so much here, sure. uh, but then you get, yeah, you can watch all events, all classifications and all different venues. Uh, we are, again, we compete in, uh, in percussion scholastic world. I've learned a whole lot today. It's a like, lot, yeah. Like you, you <laughs> see the I see the indoor progression logo yeah. places, and you never really grasp it. You've you've explained it very well. Well, I give anything else you'd like to add. I, I just feel like you've just been talking so much. I feel like I feel bad that I'm just like just talk, just talk. I'm just sit over here. But uh, you, I, you've done a great job explaining all that. Usually, before we we wrap things up, we usually have some 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 rapid fire questions and stuff. But <laughs> I, I don't have any. Don't There's have any of those. But but I have one for you this time. So. You had some big personal news in your life here pretty recently where something that happened to you that you were waiting on for a long, long time came true. What was it? I'm curious. I don't know what's going on. I'm now a season ticket holder for the Chicago Cubs. He's wow. got to be the only season ticket holder for the Cubs. Under the age in, in of 70. Of, well, I was going to say in, in all of Oklahoma, probably. <laughs> I mean, at least Broken Arrow. I mean, that's how did that come about? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been a Cubs fan, a Chicago sports fan, because growing up, like I said, I'm from Indiana, but from northwest Indiana, about 60 miles from Chicago. So, growing up near Chicago in the Chicagoland area, um, that's essentially most people are Chicago fans. My dad uh, and my brothers, my family, we're all Chicago sports fans. You know, Cubs, uh, the Bulls, and the Bears, essentially. No White Sox? No. Well, you, you, you can't be what you got to be one or the other. You can't, can't do both. No. So, you know, it, uh, watching Cubs baseball with my dad is a very early memory I've had and listening to Cubs baseball on the radio while being outside, playing outside as a kid, like very much a part of my childhood and growing up and um, the highs and the very many lows <laughs> of being a Chicago Cubs fan. Um, but and how long have you been on the wait list? I've been on the wait list at, uh, to my best memory, at least 15 years. Wow. So that's exclusive. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a smaller stadium, popular right. team. It's, it takes a while. So, yeah. you know, um, I usually try to go to a game every year, uh, but you, you have to plan like your summer around it or whatever. Um, and, uh, but I, I honestly, it was like, you know what, one of these days I would love to have the ability to, to have those kinds of opportunities. And I put my name in kind of like, Hey, maybe when I retire, <laughs> I can have this opportunity. Um, but, and I usually every year will get an update and it'll say update on the season ticket holder waiting list. And I open it. You're a loser. Stop asking. <laughs> well, it'll say, it'll give you the number you are in line and it's oh, usually my. like. 
you know, uh, it's not going to happen this year. <laughs> you are currently 106,248. Well, and, and I imagine when they won the World Series in 2016, you probably thought it was way yeah, down the road. Exactly. And, of course, they're in a little bit of a rebuild right now. So and I was I was at Game 5 of the 2016 World wow. Series. Wow. I told – at the time, I told – uh, Mr. Davis, when the Cubs were starting to make a run, I told him in September that year, I said, well, I just want to let you know, if the Cubs are in the World Series, I'm going to one of those games. <laughs> he just kind of laughed I don't care off. about marching season, I, by God. I, he kind of laughed it off, and I said, no, I'm serious. I'm going to one of those games. <laughs> no, so, I'm for real. It really is happening. Know. So anyways, uh, yeah. That's I mean, exciting for you, man. So yeah, thank you. So it happened. Honestly, like it's it's kind of cheesy, but like it made me pretty emotional. Um, just because, you know, I, I've always been a big believer of having interests outside of what you do. I love what I do. I'm a workaholic, but I think it's also really important to have other interests to kind of keep things balanced as, as much as you can. And I've been a big sports fan, especially in uh, with Chicago sports. And um, having this kind of opportunity for me is a way to share it with my family. Uh, I'm hoping that the tickets stayed uh with my family long after I'm ever here. You have to create a legacy now, you know, you know, and you have to do too, that. Is, There's no choice. You know, anybody, you know, we move to the back of the line. <laughs> well, that's the thing too, is if you, if you don't take the opportunity, you do go back to the bottom of the line. So, you know, Dr. Pence and I talked and, you know, Dr. Pence is my, my lovely <laughs> wife and my much better half. And this opportunity came up and we were, you know, luckily uh, with a lot of my other gigs that I've been doing, I, I do my best to save as much of that as possible. So that kind of just stashes away, but we see it as uh, maybe in a potential investment opportunity. But I don't, yeah, honestly, there's no doubt you're going to be able to make some some resale because there's a lot of games, 81 games a year. Again, you know, it's fan, uh, you know, family. We're all Cubs fans. So many friends uh, around the country are Cubs fans. So again, I it's a it's a way for me to be like, you know what, uh, you'll never have to pay anything over market price for what these tickets are. So. Hopefully, it's a, a way that I could share that with others. Does it impress you at all that this hand shook Rick Sutcliffe's hand? Yes. <laughs> Does that impress you? Okay, just yes, want you to. I did that. That's my That's Chicago awesome. Cubs connection go. right there. there. Yeah. I believe it was 1987. Yeah. And I was at Bush Stadium because I grew up in St. Louis for a time Gross. and met him. I, yeah. <laughs> trust me, I know. My dad was a Cubs fan when we moved into Cardinal country. It was like the most, you know, no way, unholy thing. But yeah, they were playing there and I got to sh shake Rick Sutcliffe's hand. That's awesome. Uh, and Rick it was, Sutcliffe, yeah. also a former Dodger. Is he really? He was yeah, rookie of the year with the Dodgers. Back I then. met Ryan Sandberg. Yes, I knew that guy too, sort of. Yeah, I mean, my dad, huge Cubs fan. So I should probably give you his number. You guys can just talk oh, till you just vomit. Yeah, it'll be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you, though. Love it. Well, that's that's pretty good. I mean, no no rapid fire needed because you yeah, had like no, I, knew you had a, I knew you had a good story. Zone in us. on us. Yeah. Well, that's it for us right now for It's Fine, the official podcast of Broken Air Public Schools on the Aerovision Network. Once again, thank you, Adam, for joining us. And Mr. Greg Spencer, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And uh, we had a great time. I learned a lot. I really did. I'm sure our listeners and viewers will also learn a lot, too. So once again, this is brought to you by uh, First National Bank of Broken Arrow, TTCU Federal Credit Union, Ascension St. John, Tulsa Bone Joint, and the Aero Group. So until next time, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later.